G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. And it's my privilege to welcome onto the airwaves now my good buddy, Martin Niles from the Australian Christian Lobby. How are you, mate? I'm doing well, Matt. Thanks for having me again. It's good to talk to you, mate. Now, I understand you're actually in Queensland at the moment and you didn't come into the studio to say g'day. I am in Queensland. Well, you know, I'm just out enjoying the land of milk and honey, Matt. I mean, what can I say? <laughs> I don't even have to wear my maroon pants to remind me that I'm a Queenslander when I'm in Queensland. I can just go in my civvies and enjoy myself. <laughs> oh, good to hear, mate. I know you've uh, had a family event on and you're speaking at an event uh, in the sunny coast. Hope you have a, a great time uh, in Queensland, mate, before you got to head back to beautiful Canberra, huh? Oh, look, I always will. I'm, uh, I've got a secret plan, which is now not so secret, for one day. <laughs> Uh, find my way back here. So, love it. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Now, some uh, some hot topics in the news we're, we're tackling today. Uh, last week, we had a, a lot of people calling up about this topic on 2020. Uh, the uh, recent report released about lab- Labor's soul-searching and the fact that they didn't really listen to the Christian voice and uh, one of the main reasons why they lost the last election. What are your thoughts on that, mate? Well, yeah, I mean, this is good news, isn't it? Uh, So exactly one year ago today, uh, Labor was shoving a bill through the federal parliament or attempting to, which would have prevented Christian schools from continuing to be Christian. Uh, And then a year later, post-election, they've written a report saying, well, actually, what we did was we put the Christians offside and people of faith thought that we were against them. And uh, that perception was one of the, the major factors which lost us the election. Um, and that accords with all the analysis that we did at the time. We uh, did a, a, some, some data and we found, for example, that the 20 most religious seats in Australia uh, swung uh, to the coalition at roughly twice the average rate. Mm. Um, and so we, and we found that a similar correlation where you looked at the 20 least religious seats, they, they swung the other way. Um, and, uh, you know, it was very clear. Uh, people were also saying, well, it's interesting, a bit of northern Tasmania went to the coalition, Queensland went to the coalition, random seat in western Sydney swung the hardest. And, you know, they're all saying, well, what's the thing that pulls this all together? Is it Adani? No, that's just north Queensland. And people were sort of wor- sort of furrowing their breath what they were seeing. And uh, I remember at the time we did some analysis and uh, the thing that was consistent across all the seats that brought the coalition government was significant religious communities. Mm. Um, And people may not know that the great state of Queensland is the most Christian state in Australia. Hallelujah. So Brisbane is the most Christian capital city in Australia. Hallelujah. Um, well, exactly right. <laughs> we, we always knew there was something going on here, didn't we, Matt? <laughs> we did. But, uh, you know, that those factors were all there, and it's not definitely not the only factor, but Labor's put out their actual official campaign review, and they've simply said very clearly, we lost the Christians. And uh, people will notice that some of the chief antagonists uh, or protagonists for anti-Christian policy have been very, 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 very quiet since the election, when before the election they were extremely noisy. Think, for example, Senator Penny Wong. So will this lead to long-term change? Uh, look, time will tell, but I don't think, um, I don't think we should uh, take what they say. Um, we, don't, we shouldn't be foolish about this. We should wait and see. I heard some commentary on this over the weekend, Martin, and uh, one person said, 
that when it was Malcolm Turnbull and Kevin Rudd and that, that era, they were so close to each other in the centre that you couldn't tell the parties apart. But then when Bill Shorten came in, they lurched to the left a lot more and Scott Morrison went to the right a bit further. And I thought that's an interesting observation. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, um, I think one of the things that's happened uh, with the major parties is that they used to be uh, socially the same. So they used to have the same moral views. Um, they used to basically have a Christian understanding of the world and social issues and moral issues, but they differed economically. So Labor and Liberal put forward slightly different economic views of the world. Uh, and that sort of um, is the way that they used to operate. But in the last decade in particular, uh, there's been a, a further change. They don't just bring different economic views of the world to the table, but they bring different moral social views of the world. And a lot of people haven't yet caught up with that massive change. Um, you can go into sort of outer suburban uh, migrant communities in, say, look, the southeast of Melbourne or in western Sydney, uh, and they understand the economic difference. Or so you might find uh, intergenerational Labor voters. They've voted Labor all their life. Their parents voted Labor all their life. They tend to be um, working-class people. They tend to be people who are in the outer suburbs. They tend to be people uh, uh, who are, who are um, uh, even on the land as well, but they vote for Labor, Labor, Labor. And, and, and the thing that, that, that's a problem is that as soon as they find out now where Labor stand on the social and moral issues, they freak out. They go, wait, what? This isn't the Labor Party I knew. Mm. Um, and they, that, that is one of the simplest things for political campaigners to expose. They just walk up to these migrant communities or to these uh, working Australians and they say, hey, did you know that you know, Labor wants to teach you know, uh, safe schools and respectful relationships in your child's school. In fact, they already are. Hey, did you know that this is where Labor stand on, 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 uh, on drag queen story time or something like this? And people freak out. Um, and that is one of the big changes that's taken place in recent times. And I think we're in uncharted, uncharted waters because if Labor don't change the way they think about social and moral issues, which is going to be hard for them to do, um, unfortunately, there's going to be years and years and years of opportunity for people like us, simply to inform voters in Western Sydney and similar places what they really think. And uh, it's going to be very hard for them to win these communities back. And I also heard some commentary uh, from some Labor uh, journalists on the weekend uh, saying that, oh, it really wasn't anything to do with Labor's policies. It was just because Clive, Million, uh, sorry, Clive Palmer spent, spent $60 million and uh, that we should change the laws so people can't spend so much money. Uh, but when you look at it, he hardly, he hardly got any votes, did he? <laughs> Well, that's right. It's funny you nearly called him Clive Million But look, this is the other thing, is that you have these campaign strategists saying, oh, no, 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 it's all about how we sell the message. Yeah. You know? And they don't actually want to change the message, but they want to say, no, we just need to be slicker salespeople. We just need to tell better lies. You know, mm. we just need to... And I'm just sitting there going, wow, you know, <laughs> this is the political problem uh, at the moment, where people are distrustful of political messages. And increasingly, they're not listening to politicians because they know that you're a slick salesman and you're not changing what you believe. And so the, the issue for me now is, well, as we look ahead and as Labor do this soul searching, are they going to change the product or are they simply going to change the sales pitch? Um, my concern is that we would let them get away with simply changing the sales pitch, which isn't good enough. And there's plenty of strategists who that's all they know how to do. They're living in the political bubble. They don't really get the whole conviction thing. They're just like, quick, change the message, change the message. You know, uh, you know put, put more gloss on it. Oh, I target different people. But, but what they need to do is actually change the product. That's the problem. And I think that's going to be the big challenge. And um, is it even going to be possible? I, I think only time will tell.
I also believe, Martin, that because of the 24-hour media cycle and because of the revolving door of leaders in both parties in Canberra, uh, the you know politicians just have to constantly think of their popularity rather than their policy and, and you know their character. Um, and I actually believe that now we have a great chance. You know, we had John Howard for 11 years, a good, solid statesman uh, who had good, uh, a great backbone, a great leader. And I reckon it's, and now ScoMo needs at least a couple of terms just to set things on the right path again. What do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, look, I think some stability would be really, really nice. Uh, I think we're all looking for, a, for a, to return to those days when, um, you know, all the madness in Canberra didn't happen. Um, and it's true, people are out for self-interest. And I think that there's been a few years in which the 24-hour media cycle, mainly social media, mm. so basically we didn't have a full-term prime minister since social media really sort of came onto the stage. Mm. Um, and all of that pressure, you know, politicians concerned about their popularity, their future, they freak out too easily um, and they react to the polls, and they react to what's going on in this sort of mad world of social media and all that kind of thing. Uh, and and they do dumb things as a result. They They panic, you know, they... They get spooked and uh, and they, they they turf out their leaders and all the rest of it. So maybe you're right. I think Scott Morrison has shown that uh, he's not easily perturbed from his mission. Uh, he's not easily put off. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, people nipping at his heels um, for different things, but he seems to just want to hold a steady ship. And so we'll see how it goes. I saw some uh, great footage of him. Uh, caring for a, an old bloke that had been affected by the bushfires. He had his arm around this bloke. He, you know, was just loving him and caring for him. I thought that's a great, compassionate man as well. Uh, and talking about the, the bushfires, uh, interesting to see that recently retired ALP senator and heavyweight Doug Cameron savaged people offering thoughts and prayers about the New South Wales bushfires. Mate, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's interesting. We are just talking about the fact that um, Labor had put religious people off. <laughs> and then Senator Cameron tweets and he, uh, with some colourful language sort of condemned people for offering thoughts and prayers because it was such a useless exercise. Mm. Um, if only Senator Cameron knew, I think maybe he needs thoughts and prayers above all else because we're actually in a situation with the bushfires where there's, we don't actually have control over nature. Uh, you know, we could put more solar panels on a roof. Uh, it's not going to stop these fires. They're, they're far bigger than that. Uh, it's a far larger system we're dealing with. And if we think as puny human beings, we can uh, have absolute control of the elements all the time and we can make sure there's never wildfires, we make sure there's never hurricanes, we can make sure that there's never you know, earthquakes, we can make sure that there's never... Well, that's crazy. I mean, there's a point at which we realise that uh, the only hope we have is God. And, mm. um, you know, Senator Cameron doesn't get that. But it doesn't mean that he has to abuse people who do. Mm. Um, and uh, I think thoughts and prayers are a wonderful thing to offer because uh, this is in God's hands when you're talking... Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of out-of-control fires across two of the largest uh, government areas in the world uh, and homes under threat. Um, you know, yeah, we can send some aircraft, water-bombing aircraft in, but some prayers would be nice too. Mm, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I do a, a family devotion with my children every morning and, and my wife. And this morning I shared with them, you know, the, they're predicting catastrophic uh, is the is the level for tomorrow and you know in the next couple of days and there's all these different fires in New South Wales Queensland and I said guys you know we need to be praying this is this is what Christians do we pray and we uh, we help we do what we can you know uh, as yeah. well so I thought well, why don't we just pause on while we're on this topic for Martin moment are you, uh, Martin are you okay to lead us in some prayer yeah sure absolutely let's pray our Father we come before you just uh, briefly now as we discuss 
this uh, topic of these awful fires. And Lord, we acknowledge that these matters are in your control. Father, we acknowledge that you are powerful. Father, we acknowledge your omnipotence, your greatness. As it says in your word, Lord, in, in you all things consist and have their being, and you are the creator. You hold all things in your hand. And Lord, this is a great comfort for us. We rejoice in that. Uh, and Father, we look now, though, at the things that are going on around us, and we see that there are things happening that are beyond us. And Father, these fires uh, are on our minds. Uh, they are threatening land. They're threatening people's lives. Uh, and Lord, you know this. Um, and Father, we do pray that whatever work these fires are supposed to do in our hearts, Lord, we pray that they would do. Lord, if your people are to be drawn to repentance, Lord, to confession of sin, we do pray that Lord, we'd be open to that and we'd be confessing to you, whether it's to bring people to, to know you, to look to you more fully. Lord, we pray. We know that our nation has sinned against you. Lord, we know that our nation has turned its back on you. Father, we pray that many people would turn back to you and ask for help and, Lord, ask for healing. And, Father, we pray that in your mercy you would respond. But, Father, in your mercy as well, we pray that you would send rain. Yes. Lord, we pray that the parched land would be watered. Lord, I've been out there into some of those drought areas, and it's just awful. And, Father, there's many people who are really needing help right now. And, Father, we just ask that you could send that rain. Lord, that you would just place your hand on those fires, turn them away from homes and lives. Save people, Lord, we do ask. Uh, and, Lord, we pray for our farmers. We pray, Lord, for their mental health. Lord, we pray for their perseverance. Lord, we pray that you would give them peace despite the challenges. And, Father, we pray that they would see a new day and that there would be great fertility and good things to come. Lord, we pray for the firefighters. We pray for their safety. Lord, we thank you for them. We pray for the decision makers, the politicians, uh, and, Lord, all those who are under such strain and pressure. For those, Lord, who are displaced in, in shelters and so on, again, we pray for those, for homeowners, Lord, who are stressed and concerned. Uh, Lord, so many people. And, Lord, we just pray that you would have your hand on this. And, Lord, we pray that people would just realize that thoughts and prayers are powerful mm. and thoughts and prayers, Lord, are what's needed right now. Uh, and Lord, we know that in a in a most remarkable way, you can send peace in the in the most difficult of times. And so, Lord, we pray that you would. And Lord, for your people caught up in all of this, uh, Lord, there are many of them. Lord, we just give a special prayer for those people as well. And Lord, that you would continue to lead them in good paths. But Father, now we do seek rain, we do seek restoration, and this is in your sovereign and powerful hand. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful, Martin. I love the fact that as believers we can talk about a topic and then pray about a topic. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, you know a, a very important part of our Christian life, mate. A few more quick ones I want to I want to go through before we let you go. I want to make the most of our time with you today, buddy. Uh, sure. So interesting um, that uh, Wendy Francis from the Christian Lobby uh, highlighted in a media release last week about sexting advice for kids mm. on the federal taxpayer dollar. Oh, this is outrageous. There's a program in Queensland, unfortunately, poor old Queensland, doesn't deserve this, called Respectful Relationships, uh, and it's been uh, made compulsory in Queensland schools. It's funded by the federal government to the tune of $7 million. Oh. Uh, and uh, what, what does it do? Well, it actually advises, it's aimed at 12-year-olds, 12 and up, and it advises them on how to send sex, so sexually explicit text messages mm. without getting caught. Mm. Um, and there's 50 examples, which I would never read out on air or even you know, deliberately, voluntarily read myself because they're so explicit of, of what sorts of sexually explicit messages you could send to each other. 
Um, and uh, it also tells you how to avoid uh, getting caught by your parents. Um, and this is all done in sort of, you know, a very fun and, you know, child enticing sort of a way. And you look at this stuff and you go, what planet are mm. these people on? Mm. Uh, and, and this is one of the concerning features we see of this sexualized school material every time, whether it's safe schools, respectful relationships, minus 18. And the way they've got into education departments, the way it's being rolled out across government schools, as I speak, right across the country, we always see that there's this element of just rank sexualization of children involved. And I want to know why. I want to know who's in this. Yeah. I want to know why the heck they're so obsessed with getting sexual ideas and practices into little kids' minds. It's mm. not funny. So if people I do look, want to speak up on this, of course, they can contact the Australian Christian Lobby or contact their local state MP in Queensland. I certainly will be contacting my local guy. This is just outrageous. I think so. And also, just quickly, too, there, there has been some acknowledgement from the federal minister that, that they might put a, make a review into this. So keep the pressure on yep. so that they do actually do that. In other news, conversion therapy ban is, has been moved in Victoria. Uh, what's the truth of that? Well, the truth of that is uh, that um, if you look at the... See, this is the thing with conversion therapy. People say, well, what does it mean? Well, conversion therapy, look, it's their word, it's not ours. Conversion is very different than therapy. Conversion is the power of God for salvation. Therapy is something, you know, a doctor does. Mm. So it's not, it's, not, it's not our term. So you've got to say to yourself, well, what are they trying to ban here? And you have to turn to them to tell you what they're trying to ban. Mm. Um, and what they're trying to ban, if you actually read the policy documents, you wouldn't believe it. It actually says it includes prayer. It includes the reading of scripture. It includes fasting. It includes teaching that abstinence and celibacy are good and that's the right way to live if you're same-sex attracted or if you're not married. Uh, it includes stuff like, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin, and all this kind of thing. It's one of the most concerning things I have. It is the most concerning piece of legislation I've ever seen in my life. Mm. Let's put it that way. Mm, wow. uh, and effectively, all it does is say, hey, you know what? If you're a Christian pastor, counselor, Hey, just a Christian school teacher. Hey, just a Christian talking to somebody else. Hey, if you're guilty of proclaiming any of these scriptures that are, you know, life and peace and salvation, but talk about conversion, talk about change, particularly about change to sexual orientations or, you know, the way that your desires work and all that in Christ's sanctification, you know, the power of God that changes you from within, uh, and particularly in relation to gender identity or sexual orientation, that is illegal. That's a criminal offense. Wow. Uh, really, really, really concerning stuff. Um, you know, really concerning. So uh, that is something we're going to campaign very, very vigorously against, uh, as we should. Uh, I encourage people to keep an eye out for that and say, look, now we're at a point where parts of the gospel are at stake, um, and so this is something we've got to get behind. Mm, wow. Uh, that's uh, in Victoria and in the ACT, I just noticed as well. Yep. And uh, turning towards the ACT again, the Bar government is banning school chaplains from 2020 onwards. What are your thoughts on that? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, my thoughts are that this is really regrettable. Mm. <laughs> you know, uh, they've come out and said, oh, we're going to get rid of chaplains in schools. Uh, instead, we're going to have sort of secular social workers. And, uh, you know, they're pretty brazen about this. But this is the, we call this the Soviet Socialist Republic of the ACT, uh, sometimes just for a bit of a laugh, uh, because, of course, our head office is based in Canberra, so we've got to laugh at something. <laughs> uh, but uh, the education minister, Yvette Berry, uh, down there has come out and said, oh, yeah, look, all we're doing, and these are her words, all we're doing is we want to take the religion out. Uh, and so we want to make sure that these chaplains in schools are not religious people. We want to make sure that religion is not part of their purview. Uh, and so they're taking them, taking, getting rid of the program. And, um, 
you know, what that does is it basically has this, it's this crazy notion that a, a counsellor, a helper, a staff member with spiritual knowledge or spiritual capability uh, or a spiritual world, uh, you know, side to their worldview is irrelevant to kids in the 21st century, which is just madness. I mean, there's plenty of kids of faith in schools. There's plenty of kids who need spiritual guidance. There's plenty of kids who, yeah, sometimes they just need someone to say something very practical to them. Sometimes they need somebody to help them with the deeper things of life. Uh, and the idea that, you know, we're not allowed this in a school, uh, meanwhile, all this other trash we've been talking about is getting put into schools, you know, to change the way kids think. But the idea that we're not allowed that um, is madness. And the idea that that's not relevant to kids is madness. So people who do live in the ACT, you go to the ACL website, acl.org.au, and there is a Save Our Chaplains uh, campaign there where you can write to Andrew Barr, Alistair Coe and Senator Zed Pistelja. And people might think that's useless because the ACT is a tough uh, gig, a tough place to get these sorts of voices heard. But let me tell you, it's not useless because there's several thousand uh, of you living in the ACT. And um, uh, when you do that, uh, it, 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 it is heard and it may even get a commitment from the opposition if they win the 2020 election to reinstate chaplains. We're hoping that, that will happen. So, you know, get on and, and have, have a look at that. Wonderful, mate. We did have uh, Peter James, the CEO of SU Queensland, and uh, connected to the Save Our Chappies uh, campaign. Uh, last week on the radio, got lots of calls, people saying how valuable chaplains are. And uh, it was uh, inspirational to hear some of the stories of what they're doing all around our nation. And they're actually advertising that. They actually need 70 more chaplains at the moment, too, around the nation. So let's hope and pray that many more are raised up and in the ACT as well. Yep, uh, well, absolutely. Martin, it's always a pleasure to catch up. And once again, if people want to find out more, they can go to the uh, Australian Christian Lobby on social media. Uh, they can look up the ACL website. And uh, you guys are doing a great job, mate. Thanks for your time. Thanks, mate. You too. God bless. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.